You're listening to Caregivers Out Loud, powered by Family Caregivers of British Columbia and hosted by Bill Israel. Think about the times you said this to a struggling caregiver. Let me know if there's anything I can do to help. The offering has good intent, but many times people say it because they don't know how to help, are uncomfortable, or want to be polite. And although 29% of caregivers in British Columbia are in distress, you will still hear caregivers say, I I don't need any help, or it's okay, I'm fine. Today, we hear from Jim and how he supported his friend Art and Art's wife, Grace, during Grace's diagnosis and disease. Jim shares how he learned a lot about himself in the process of supporting his friends. And at first, it wasn't with great success. I'm certainly aware of how, um, having grown up as a North American male in a family where there was a military father present, and sometimes not present, quite absent, that for me, and I think for you, as for many males, our capacity for compassion and effective caregiving doesn't come all that easy. So tell me a little bit about your own family, then we'll get started on taking a look at how you entered this caregiving process. Right. Well, it is true that I was raised in a military family. My father was a fighter pilot in World War II, and he certainly carried all of those ideas and, and ethos into our family as well, expected me to be fighter pilot material. Of course. So, and later he became an engineer and expected me to follow all those steps as well. Fortunately, I, I did have a mother who was, I think, a model caregiver and uh, saw her role as being one of taking care of everybody who was less fortunate than she was. Yeah, I had the same experience. Uh, My mother was a nurse, actually. And so it kind of balanced off my father's taciturn, quiet, you know, I'm going to teach you how to be a man sort of uh, approach (laughs) to child rearing. And so even as I uh, began moving into the uh, arena and having been uh, ordained as a pastor and was into caregiving, it it was challenging. I, I was unfamiliar with the territory of this compassion and empathy stuff. And I think you had an experience not unlike mine, uh, joining a men's group that uh, over time, as you got married, moved to Canada. Uh, talk a little bit about that, if you would. Probably like you, I was um, very confused about how to find myself, who I was. I would either alternate between being very quiet and you know, or sliding into rage sometimes at the frustration of not finding this. But uh, once I, I got married, of course, marriage will test you. That's your mate is your mirror. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <As they say. laughs> uh, yeah. I uh, learned that there's a whole lot of questions that were on my mind. I just didn't know how to voice them. And eventually, I, I found a friend in my community that had attended a men's group session early when the men's group was a big movement back in the 1990s. He invited me to an introductory session with uh, seven other men. So the eight of us sat around for five sessions and tried to figure out what this whole um, discussion among men's was all about. Yeah. I participated in a couple of those groups and went through that experience of being with some of the guys who at least had the courage to come together and say, you know, there's some things we need to learn how to talk about, even just with each other. 
as you moved into that group, then the caregiving issue rose. Uh, I think it was because of another member in the group. Is that not the case? Yes. About four years ago, one of our members, his wife was diagnosed with cancer, a certain type of cancer that allowed some treatment. So they went through a treatment phase of a couple of years where hopes were high and hopes were dashed. And uh, our role as the other members of the group were to provide as much emotional care as we could. And it was pretty challenging to do that. Sure. And as I recall, uh, you did sort of the manly thing for a while with this fellow. Say some words about what you were doing to look after him, uh, even in this up and down transition period with his wife. In retrospect, it sounds funny, but we left him alone for a long time with the thought that, well, he's going through a very special adventure with his wife. It's a very personal journey that they have. Let's not interrupt that. Let's not get in the way. And, and in hindsight, that was perhaps you know the strong thing to do, but not the correct thing to do. It was a tough time for him because it was very gradual uh, descent into this caregiving role for him. His wife, Grace, took care of many things around the house and the cooking and, and shopping and things like that that uh, she continued to do for a long time until she just didn't have the energy to do that. And he gradually assumed all of these roles, chief bottle washer, he called himself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all everything else that he gradually went into uh, depth. And it was, uh, I guess, a, a point of extreme frustration for him. I take it there weren't any children there, so it was just he and, and his wife? Correct. No children. He did have family, but uh, they were all back east at the time, and, and same for Grace as well. So then you were doing what you thought was the proper thing to do as a men's group in supporting him. What was going on early? Well, we, we did think that uh, we'll do the Canadian thing of giving them food. So we would do casseroles. <laughs> and, and, and my wife in particular wanted to contribute. So she did casseroles and the other wives did too. And that was kind of the limit of what we had at the time. But we could see that Art was failing, I guess, in his energy and uh, his response. He was just getting deeper and deeper into quagmire. And he eventually spoke about that, did he not? He did. You know, we we eventually said, uh, we would love to do more for you. What do you do? This is the 50th time we've asked this. What can we do to help? And he pretty much screamed, you know, I don't need any help. And then he then he burst into tears with a realization that he didn't he was lost. He didn't know what he needed or or what to ask for. Yeah. And I suspect the men in the group probably recognize something in themselves in that, you know, how difficult it is to ask for help. It is. But I have to say, you know, none of us really had, were, had ever been in that situation where a mate was, was dying. So it was, it was hard to find that empathy for him, although we cared deeply for him. We just couldn't really feel what he was feeling at that time. And yet you ventured forth as a group. You, you did some exploration within the group about how can we proceed more effectively here? Well, that was our, our ongoing question. We were confused and frustrated as well. But I accidentally happened upon the, the family caregivers of BC, arranged a meeting with one of the, the staff members there. Four other men's group members came with me. So the five of us showed up at the office and just said, hey, this is what we're experiencing, extreme frustration all around. Do you have any ideas? And uh, boy, it was a revelation. We heard about the 
the circles of care concept. And we heard about some tools that might be available. One is lots of helping hands. It's a, kind of a software tool that allows many people to coordinate their gifts in a way. So we don't end up with casseroles <laughs> and, no, and nothing but. Yeah. And yet still provided some structure, some organization, some how to go about this beyond casseroles, right? Exactly. To kind of spread the workload. You know, we walked out of, out of the, the family caregiver's office with a plan. And the plan was to, to talk with Art. And I was given the task of doing that, sitting down with him and offering him uh, an agreement. And the agreement went something like, we know that you're not asking for help because you don't want to impose on us. That's how we would feel. We're desperate to help because you're part of our family and we would love to contribute in some way. Let's have this agreement. We agree not to do anything that puts us at a disadvantage or causes any unnecessary struggle. If you promise to outline what would help and then we'll negotiate. Sometimes we'll say no. Sometimes if we offer something, you can say no. But that's the agreement. What do you say? Yeah. So you guys were struggling to make this agreement. I suspect he felt some pressure too, you know, having to open up a little bit and admit to some vulnerability perhaps. Yeah, very much so, as we all did. Vulnerability is a hard thing to wrap your mind around. But I think when we expressed it this way, you know, we, your friends, will feel better if we can do something. And he wanted to help us feel better. So it was, yeah, yeah. He, he could ask for help and not feel selfish or guilty or embarrassed. So you began doing some different things then, because one of his requests was just for a bit of respite, as I recall. I just wanted some time off from time to time. Yes, absolutely. So as he gradually moved into the full caregiving mode, he gave up on himself. He didn't have any time for himself for his own even time off. He was 24-7. They would wake up in the middle of the night and he would be there with her, reading to her and, and caring for, for Grace. So, of course. So we divided the group up into two. There were some local, we were the local family and friends, but we also connected with their Art and Grace's family back east, and they wanted to participate as well. So we divided the workload into things that had to be done local, like giving food and things that could be done remotely, like uh, sharing stories, family stories and photographs. They had photographs from decades ago and uh, just offering any type of emotional help to both Grace and, and to Art as well. And once we organized this in a way that everybody could participate, it relieved our workload completely. But it also allowed us to connect with their family back east, and we became friends electronically. So it was a real community of care, the circle of care. Yeah, sure. And that's always such a lovely revelation that you commit yourself to this uh, fairly difficult task that's got a spiritual and a physical and an emotional content, and suddenly payback starts. Something wonderful happens in that process, like reaching out to arts friends and discovering what they could do. Yeah, exactly. And then as you proceeded along and began to do some things that uh, were helpful to Art, turns out that wasn't the end of the tasks you faced, that, that there were some other difficulties that rose. Yeah, well, eventually, about two years after the first diagnosis, it came as the a realization that uh, the cures that they were trying were not working. Mm -hmm. So Grace faced this very difficult decision 
is she going to uh, slowly slide into more painful and more demanding or is there something that that she can do and, and she's elected to follow the maid approach that's the medical assistance in dying she was pretty adamant and she, she was a strong-willed person to begin with but pretty adamant that two things i don't want to go through the pain she would say but i don't want to put everybody else through the delayed pain as well so you know it all made sense to her unfortunately uh, art didn't agree sure. <laughs> of course yeah <laughs> Yeah, and I can remember even in my own mother's case, she's constantly saying, I don't want to be a bother. Yes. You know, she she knew she was entering this phase and wanted to make it easy on me and our family. Well, that, of course, creates that complication, like with art. So what happened then? Many of us did attend her final uh, celebration on the day that she died, and were there with art as... Uh, the medical professionals um, took Grace away and tried to offer as much care as we could at the time without, without realizing that Art had suddenly fallen into this chasm of grief and that that grief stuck with him for, well, we eventually know a year and a half, almost two years of this grief. And during that time, we we kept trying to do the same things that we were doing before, you know, the meals, <laughs> the, that type of caregiving. And yet he could not relate to us exactly what he was going through because none of us had been in grief, that level of grief anyway, before. Yeah. And so the lessons still were to arrive here in this process and some of it having to do, of course, with uh, the reality that um, may be unspoken, but your presence, just being present with art may have had some ameliorative effect. But the fact is that the challenge was not done and, and he eventually left the group, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and not so much leaving the group. He just found another group that he could relate to, and that was a local bereavement group with the same principles that we had. Speak your heart. Tell exactly what's going on for you. And he temporarily found more solace in that group until he did did recover after about a year and a half. And we're we're still in touch today. He's moved on with his life in a very positive way since then, as I recall, uh, Jim. Correct. So let's talk a little bit about then, uh, as you guys reflected on this experience, to say a word or two about what you have learned as you entered this process. And and it didn't come out as perfectly as you would have liked it to, but there's been learnings in there. Well, it's learnings about what it means to be a man, mm-hmm. first of all. Boy, is that, uh, that's a challenge, as you, as you know, Absolutely. with your experience. All of those questions uh, as a child and a young adult and being married and being a father, all of those questions just never go away. They're just never spoken because we don't have the words. And I think that's the, the main thing that I found is being with other men uh, with the agreement of they will listen as long as I speak the truth. That allowed me to f- experiment and find the words that did reflect what I was going through. Yeah, and it's not unusual for we males to discern the difference between a, a mental truth or a rational truth and a heartfelt truth. You know, it's a very different kind of expression. I mean, I'm so appreciative of you telling this story, Jim, because so many men struggle with this, finding a way through caring for a loved one, or even being cared for. 
is difficult. And having spoken so wonderfully as you have with me here today, what reflections would you want to pass on to other men who may be listening uh, or other caregivers, uh, generally speaking, uh, from your own experience with art and grace? Well, from the the men point of view, and I'll, I'll ask you, Bill, about your experience, it seems to me there has to be a certain time of life where those questions rise to the top and are causing problems. I guess we used to call that the midlife crisis and was always solved with a red sports car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is it yeah. your experience that, that men uh, reach a certain sure. depth? Yeah, well, it, I think what happens is that we move along with what we know best at the time. And we're generally problem solvers, you know, as long as we have a toolkit and a problem to solve, uh, we'll dig in. But as soon as the problem is uh, not defined as something that uh, the toolkit's going to help with, then we experience this, uh, what I will call a blockage, you know, that suddenly now I need to find a different way to communicate my love and to receive love of others. Your story illustrates wonderfully how maybe that starts with just some other guys who are trying to work through this, which I think was part of your experience. One thing that we did do as the men's group began, we went through a number of efforts to build trust among the members. One thing we said, we promised that whatever we said in the group stays within the group. We don't even tell our wives what we're doing and what other people are, are saying. That confidentiality was really important to be able to open up. And it didn't happen suddenly. It happened over years to open up deeply. Jim's candid and open conversation reveals his valuable learnings about entry into the intricate skills of caregiving. It requires a compassionate give and take communication with a care recipient. Jim, his wife, and his men's group friends undertook a caregiving mission that required more than just wanting to help in a socially appropriate way. It was a challenge complicated by the care recipient struggling to identify and articulate his own needs beyond weekend casseroles. You heard the patient effort of Jim and his care recipient in building a circle of care, a psychosocial intervention model used at Family Caregivers of BC. Creating a circle of care helps caregivers increase informal respite options by having scheduled informal support from friends, extended family, spiritual community, and neighbors. Your circle of care can help decrease social isolation and prevent caregiver distress. To find out how you can create a circle of care, call our BC Caregiver Support Line at 1-877-520-3267. As a caregiver, Jim had to get personally creative in order to communicate better with Art. They both learned that trustful communication is vital for the caregiver and also for the people that want to support them. We were caring for a caregiver. So that relationship is not unlike a direct caregiver. Somebody's in trouble. That trust needs to be there to get to the agreement that they're gonna ask for what they need and we promise to only give our gifts that do not impede us. So that agreement, I think, is vital to the caregiving role, and it depends on trust. Thank you for listening to Caregivers Out Loud, powered by Family Caregivers of British Columbia and hosted by Bill Israel. 
Produced and sound edited by Organized Sound Productions. We acknowledge the financial support of the Province of British Columbia and the BC Ministry of Health Patients as Partners Initiative. If you like what you're hearing, discover more episodes and find more caregiving resources at familycaregiversbc.ca. And if you find these episodes helpful, please share them with your family and friends who may find it enlightening to hear these stories. Finally, don't forget to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast listening app so you can take us with you wherever you go. Thank you for listening and taking the time to learn and care for yourself with other caregivers out loud.